Welcome to episode 244 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Just yesterday, China's state planner issued new rules to strengthen integration of electric vehicles with the country's power grid. China is rolling out massive amounts of renewables, especially solar, and hopes that EV batteries will help provide the storage required for intermittent generation. Other countries have been considering EV to grid integration for some time for the same reason as China. A new pilot project in British Columbia will create Canada's first bi-directional EV charging hub using medium and heavy-duty vehicles. The project's led by Rob Safrata, who is CEO of Coast to Coast Experiences, a tour company that uses electric buses. So welcome to the interview, Rob. Great to be here and 244, congratulations. I'm as you must uh, know a lot about a lot of things in this area. So great to be with you. Look forward to talking about the subject. Well, as I often say, I'm uh, I'm a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> okay. So we do it. Well, we do do a lot of interviews about a lot of different subjects related to energy and the energy transition. And I'm particularly interested in this one because this has been a long time coming. The vehicle to grid integration. I don't know. I I think I did my first interview three four years ago, maybe five years ago, and you know it had lots of promise, uh, but there were technical issues that had to be resolved. Uh, everybody's been working on them. It sounds like now maybe we're ready, you know, we're doing ready to do pilots. So maybe just to start the interview, let's, if you could describe your project, please. Well, I, I will. And I, I, I think what you brought up though is, you know, what are the technical issues or what's the history? Uh, where is it at? And I, you know, vehicle to grid, V to G, as it's uh, termed, was first conceived and tested in the late 90s, actually, by the two folks who were the developers of what we now know as Tesla. You know, Musk didn't invent the Tesla. He, he, he brought it to the mass market from these two fellows. And they had this, they believed and realized that the battery in the car could be an asset, not just for driving around. So that was the initial thinking and the first reading in the terms of VAG. However, when it really got traction, and this is instructive for us now, was in 2012, after the Fukushima nuclear uh, accident, power accident, and in Japan, they, they, from that, they went, we need more distributed sources of electricity. So uh, in, in BC, I think we have seven uh, major power plants, but uh, you know, similar to Japan in those days, it's like the mainframe of IBM for those you and I that are old enough to remember the IBM mainframe. <laughs> you know, that was the only way you could get your computing power. And initially, you know, IBM scoffed at the personal computer. So I call this the internet of power. The V to G vehicles, there are 1.4 million vehicles in Metro Vancouver, and there are seven major power plants in, in BC. Uh, maybe I'll just interrupt. Inter finish the thought, though. Okay. What if you could draw your energy from 1.4 million uh, sources when you need it? Uh, for, for folks who don't live in BC, 
BC is primarily a hydro generation. There are 32 or 34 hydro dams uh, around the province that generate most of the electricity. Uh, but I think you're referring to uh, other, maybe I get you to clarify what you mean by those seven power plants. Well, these are, you're right. There are, there's run of river. There are many smaller, there's solar, there's wind, you know, those are smaller, right. but there's, as I understand, seven major dams or sources of power that BC Hydro manages. And I, I could be just one or two more or one less, but these are the massive mainframes, if you will, for power generation in BC. And then since then, you're right, it's it's distributed to smaller solar, run of river and um, wind. Yes. Right. And, and we should point out that uh, BC Hydro is just completing its last big dam, Site C, which is highly controversial. Uh, it'll come on stream, I think, uh, next year, if I'm if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So so but BC Hydro has said publicly that it will not build any more hydro dams. Now, you know, crown corporations and governments change their mind all the time. But let's work on that assumption. And BC Hydro is now putting out RFPs for for wind and solar. So it looks like what they're going to be doing is they're going to take that base of, of hydro generation and build out intermittent sources as their load grows. And they, now they're talking about 2% load growth per year uh, after 15 years of flat, uh, well, basically no load growth. So now they're expecting fairly rapid expansion. They're going to meet it with, with more intermittent sources. And that's where vehicle to grid integration could play a big role. And and we have, thank you, that's an excellent overview and summary. And we have evidence of that. In the United Kingdom recently, there was a study done and it showed that by 2050, they predicted that they would need 25 gigawatts to produce 25 gigawatts more power than they make today. However, if they use smart charging and vehicle to grid technology, by 2050, they'll need five gigawatts less. That's less than they produce today. So that could be equivalent in Canada and many, many parts of the world uh, to handle the, the peaks. Right. Um, so let's talk about your company owns electric buses. And you want to use those electric buses. Uh, you want to integrate them into the uh, into the power grid as part of this uh, pilot project, so that they can be charged. And when they're not being used, they can then be called upon by the utility uh, to provide power uh, at peak demand. Have I got it correct? Percent. Okay. Um, why? What? What led you? Uh, as the the head of uh, coast to coast, uh, to want to participate in this project. Well, we're more than participating; we're we're leading it. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, of, exactly. Out of, our, out of our own need, and my history is I bought a local same day courier company in two thousand. And if you think of it, we hundred drivers with three thousand dollar beaters polluting air polluting. And in 04, we went on a path to figure out how to get our drivers into then hybrids, which reduced things that you measured in air care, <clears throat> uh, then nitrous oxide, carbon monoxide, hydrocarbons, which will make you and I and others sick <clears throat> by 99%. I mean, that's clean air. That's 
people's health. I try to bring it, make it, uh, make it personal. I still don't know what a ton of carbon looks like. Uh, climate change, I agree with. It's complicated, but I do know what what dirty air does to me, and I notice it. And I believe others do too. So with West Coast sightseeing or coast to coast now, we have these huge buses, and they're terrible. They they pollute. Uh, medium and heavy duty vehicles uh, are account for 40% of the pollution, carbon and air pollution, even though they represent only 3% of the number of vehicles because we drive hundreds of kilometers a day and they're big. So we, what, <laughs> long answer to your question. Why are we leading this? We've been trying to figure out how to afford electric buses. We have a few, we bought them five years ago. They work wonderfully and no dirty air comes out the back. How can we get 50 of these? They're incredibly expensive. And even with the grants and the government's doing their best, we can't get there. However, if we, if we can find a way for utilities or other to pay us to use our batteries when they need it, these are huge batteries and there's lots of times when we have power and we don't use the buses. That's how we can afford them. So it's just, it's an economic uh, solution to be able to run to getting these buses, school bus operators, the same thing, delivery companies, the same thing. Anybody that's driving less than 300 kilometers in and around a city could do this. Well, I, it's very interesting that BC Hydro, the, the province's crown corporation utility, uh, is one of your partners as is the PowerTech Labs, which is a BC Hydro subsidiary. And I, utilities have a reputation for being rather conservative, and especially when it comes to managing the grid. I mean, these are have been described, power grids are described as the world's biggest machine. They're, they're amazingly complex, and, and utilities are very, very careful about what they do with them, yet you don't want to break one. Uh, so BC Hydro is part of this. What are what are the uh, you know the high BC Hydro engineers or planners or you know the folks that you're talking to say about the benefits to the to the utility? Well, I would say we've been fortunate, very fortunate that um, for six years now we've been working with an internal champion. It's a big place, so when you find someone like that, that's gold. His name, I'll give him a shout out, is Steve Cow. And his responsibilities are to uh, where there's uh, weaknesses in the grid or there might be a blackout because it's overloaded. His responsibility is to fix that or make sure that that doesn't happen. And he has been to more vehicle to grid conferences and read about it. And he's championing this from the inside. And he knows, as I said, they could make 5% less energy or five gigawatts less in the UK using smart charging and vehicle to grid. So that's a person within an organization and uh, the technology it's, there's no new technology needed. It's putting a lot of pieces together that now exist and have existed. So uh, that's, when I say BC Hydro, they know about this now, right to the top level, uh, the CEO, et cetera. And they'll come to it slowly, but they have they know that it's a solution. That's a very uh, interesting insight. In, and I can, I can see, based on the interviews I've done so far with utility executives, how important that is to have that, that internal uh, champion. 
And the some of the bigger context for this is the there's a, a a nonprofit called the if I remember correctly the North American Electricity Reliability Council or or corporation. Anyway, it's tasked with overseeing the reliability of power grids all over North America. NERC is the uh, is the acronym. <laughs> That's a mouthful the way you said it at first. <laughs> yes, well, so NERC. we'll call it we'll call it NERC. But NERC recently released a report saying that in North America and then, you know they including Canada, the possibility of power outages because of the rapid switch to renewables uh, is has has uh, decreased significantly the reliability of the grid. And now there the risk of power outages has risen much higher uh, than it what has been in the past. So I can see where somebody like Steve, is it Steve Cowell? C-A-O, Steve Cowell. Steve Cowell. Okay, yeah. I can see where Steve Cowell would look at that because Steve Cowell will know about NERC and, and I'm sure he's read these these studies and, and say, okay, we get it. Now it has to be more reliable. Then where are we? Storage is one of the best ways to improve reliability. Uh, peak shaving and and uh, frequency mo frequency modulation. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't pretend to understand. I'm not an electrical engineer, but anyway, that's the batteries help with that. And and where better to get batteries than from the electric vehicle grid or or pool the fleet? Uh, and it seems to me like medium and heavy duty vehicles are generally used for things like, you know, what you're using the, your buses for, but then you have delivery vans and you have short haul, uh, you know, freight uh, within a big uh, re, uh, a big city or a, a metropolis like Vancouver, and they sit idle for long periods, you know, uh, after the, and the, and they, they all, they're all in one place. So you're not, you're not having to worry about, you know, like, residential EV or EVs in a residential set, setting. And so medium and heavy duty seems to be actually the, the the most logical place to start with vehicle to grid integration. Is that kind of the thinking in your team? Again, I, I really appreciate the knowledge, the, the, the general and specific knowledge you have. You've summarized that really well. If you think about medium heavy duty fleets, if you will, there's an opportunity initially to have 10 or 20 or 30 in one place when they're not being used and to set up and harden the technology and the batteries are five times bigger than a car. So to really be relevant to the grid or uh, I think we're gonna talk maybe about what's called V to X. And what that means is you could power a building. You know, it, X means anything else, a building direct to load uh, construction site, you name what X can equal anything here. And uh, so in the future, I believe anyone with an electric car, it, bi-directional charging is V to X. It's charging in, charging out, bi-directional. That, that will be the norm. And uh, that when you plug your car in, and I've actually already seen this on a screen in an existing car that I could push the screen and say, oh, you know, I only need 30% or I, I need, don't take my battery down more than 30% or 50% or whatever, because I know what I'm going to need. Um, so it's, it's conceived, it's available. And yet cars are in a million places, <laughs> different places, garages and whatever, homes and 
communities. So it's easier to set up initially in, in uh, aggregate. One of the uh, things, this is, you know, we do some reporting on the American uh, power grid uh, and how it's being modernized and the integration of, of renewables, which is happening fairly rapidly in, in a number of states. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, one of the issues that comes up comes up is that uh, systems operators, and uh, the only real we only have a couple of systems operators in uh, in Canada, in Alberta, and in Ontario. The rest are you know the, the utility acts like the system operator or yeah. operates the system, yeah. but but down in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. and to some extent in in Alberta. There's a lot of concern over big uh, industrial projects, commercial projects, self-generating, distributed energy. So if you've got if you got an industrial plant and you uh, put a bunch of solar panels on all of your buildings and maybe even a solar array, you know, if you have the if you have the land for it and and then you use uh, buses or sorry, you use the batteries in vehicles uh, or other types of stationary storage. Uh, you know, battery storage, and and that those kind of operations could actually uh, get off the grid, which yeah. is a ma- which is a major issue. So it seems it seems to me that that's an example of V two X. Oh, hundred percent. That's that's load directly to load, and, and it's not just vehicle. It's the solar or whatever. You know, it's the yeah. They're they're generating their own power, and you say you started with the word concern. Though I go. Well, really makes it makes the operations more resilient. Uh, what if you were a real estate person building a, a industrial building and it was set up so that my buses could charge could charge but also give power um, at night um, it could charge at night and then during the day uh, other Vehicles could charge or give power back when people parking there could be running the place, uh, charging it, powering it. So that that would be an uh, amenity to that site that the people there could say, well, if there's a power outage, I'm okay because uh, I've got a stand up, you know, a little bit of small stationary battery. I've got all these cars powering me. I'm still going. It's an amenity. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. No, I was talking about the uh, the other customers and the and the system operator who are worried about uh, the uh, migration of large uh, loads on the power grid off the grid and then those those then they they the uh, utility or the system operator loses the revenue and then that has to be replaced but anyway that's kind of an aside that this is a side issue and I don't want to get sidetracked on it but so let's one of the questions I have uh, and I'm very interested is as the owner of the bus, the electric buses and the batteries, uh, are you worried about V to G increasing the number of cycles that your batteries have to go through and leading to premature degradation of the battery? <laughs> That's usually the first question and the biggest question. And in fact, the good news is it improves the studies that I've seen, and I can talk more about it, show that it it uh, increases the longevity by about 10%. And here's a couple of reasons why. For us, we don't use our buses for six months. Like really 90% of them are parked. 
a battery that's not being used for six months degrades in different ways. It's better for it to be cycling, okay? And when it's cycling, so if it's being used uh, by the utility, um, the way that it's cycled when uh, the utility is using it with technology and to come out you know, at a certain rate and all that kind of thing is optimized. Versus you can imagine our bus driver or me, you know, just kind of pushing the pedal down and up and back and forth. and da, da, da. There's nothing elegant about that. <laughs> Technology can cycle this much more uh, elegantly or in a sophisticated way. That in fact, it will extend the life of the battery. And I would imagine that uh, some of the partners here that I'm looking at uh, in your for your project, like Fermata Energy provides the platform for this to happen, right? The software platform. And so right. that's where that, that kind of efficiency would come from is having, uh, you know, the a company like that involved in the pilot. Yes. And again, as I mentioned earlier, there's a number of pieces and parts that need to be plugged in well together. So Fermata's role is on the software side, making sure that when and what comes out is clean to the grid or the load. There's Borg Warner that just bought the only company that has a currently um, certified bi-directional charger. There will be many more within a year. And uh, there are top players in the world, a few, that supply, you know, so only some of the OEMs have bi-directionally ready vehicles, but they all will soon. And Lion Electric Company is your is your bus uh, uh, your e bus partner, and we've interviewed uh, Lion Electric in the in the past, based right. out of uh, Quebec, and they and they mm -hmm. actually have their own battery factory now, or soon will have their. They uh, do. I've been there. I've been there. They do. Yeah. Oh, it's up and running now. Excellent. Yeah. So so from from Lion's point of view, uh, are they looking at okay? So we have our bus now. Now we have to make sure that the bus is up you know, uh, is ready for bi-directional charging. Is, is that kind of their role here? 100%. And uh, they are truly one of the leaders. I'm very impressed with that company. I want to give a big shout out there. Um, so they, you know, started making school buses, a better school bus, and then electric, of course, and they're, they have a plant in the States as well. And they were using a few uh, BMW i3 batteries. That's what they were using in their in their fleet and they're just now have a battery plant which doesn't mean they're they're making them from lithium and whatever they get you know 10 <laughs> they get thousands of cells just like you put in your i don't know in your uh your hair dryer or something they get they get those and they pack them together and manage them and they make their own battery the reason it's really important is because now they can manage the technology so that the rate at which the power comes out or in uh, bi-directionally and the rate to which you draw down. So currently in their buses, you can only take it down to 45%. You can't go below that because of the BMW uh, battery and uh, the insurance there or whatever. But with their own battery, you'll be able to take it down to about, I think 20%, don't quote me on that. And so at a faster rate. So it just, they, they called us a power company in the future. We will be not a bus company, a power company when we have hundreds and then thousands of electric buses with, you know, 350, 400 uh, kilowatt hour batteries. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the term that I've uh, uh, heard mostly is prosumer, 
you're both a producer and a uh, and a consumer mm. uh, of elect electricity. Well, mm. Rob, this is fascinating. Um, when what's the timeline for this pilot project? Uh, well, we've done the, the the test, if you will, and I'm too old for pilot projects, just so you know. So <laughs> we are proposing, uh, well, BC Hydro has its own use. They want 40 electric buses from us and with a contract from them, we'll be able to get those 40 buses for them to use mainly in the winter. And it'll take at least a couple of years to harden and, you know, get that up and, and whatever. So two to three years, it's, it's getting it into the school bus industry at scale. The film industry really wants it. Delivery industry wants the tour, you know, across Canada and North America. So it's two to three years still of hardening. And then uh, there'll be cars, more cars. Nissan Leaf, by the way, I mentioned Fukushima earlier. The Nissan Leaf has been bi-directionally capable because of that for many years. And so two to three years of hardening testing. And then you'll, this won't be such a subject on your show because it'll be the norm. <laughs> Well, Rob, uh, we're looking forward to that, and we uh, hope we'll stay in touch and and uh, see. Uh, we wish you all the all the best on the pilot project. Thank you very much for this, Mark, and thank you for for reaching out. I think you're you're doing an important service, and boy, time went by quickly for me here. And uh, best wishes, happy new year.